Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Hope you had a good vacation, a good holiday. I did, getting back in the swing of things. Uh, good to be back and uh, doing live shows. And my first live show this morning is with Elizabeth Lombardo. She's a Ph.D., a psychologist, a physical therapist, and author of the best-selling book, A Happy You, Your Ultimate Prescription for Happiness. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, I heard your voice right before we got on the air, and you do sound very happy. So. <laughs> uh, Sometimes but, annoyingly so at 5 in the morning, yes. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes, okay. Well, I'm East Coast, so it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I feel pretty good. Um, happiness, a happy you, your ultimate prescription for happiness. I guess my first question is, just because it's kind of a general question, why so much fuss now about happiness? I mean, this seems to be like a new phenomenon for the 21st century. Um, is it, and why are we concerned about being happy, and were we not happy before, or do we have more expectations, and we want to be, think that we should be happier than we used to be? Or I've asked you like three questions, but they're all kind of the same thing. Right? <laughs> yes, no, and maybe. Um, okay. So the emphasis on happiness right now, I think really um, is twofold. One comes from our society, because we're having a lot more stress, more disappointment, more more feelings of being overwhelmed, and we're searching for happiness more. And then it's also coming from the psychological world. For decades and even centuries, psychologists studied what's wrong, depression, anxiety. And, and, and then in about uh, 2000, Dr. Martin Seligman said, you know what, let's really start studying what's right. Let's start studying happiness. Because happiness is not a lack of depression. It's actually a different approach. And so between the psychology research that's coming out and then society and how stressed out we are, we're really looking for more happiness. You mentioned Dr. Seligman. Well, he's at, he, or is, I don't know if he's still alive at the University of Pennsylvania, that he study. Is, yes. Yeah. So tell us about because that's kind of like, as you, that's empirical research on happiness, as you say, and that's like a, that was a new thing. Exactly like what did he, what were his findings? Well, so he and a lot of his colleagues have started this whole movement called, called Positive Psychology and really looking at what is it that causes happiness. And, and some of the things we, we probably have heard from maybe even our grandparents, but we started to prove them, which was, for example, money doesn't buy you happiness. And people say, well, it's easier to be happy when you have money. I'll tell you, I have a, I have a private practice full of very, very rich people who uh, come in unhappy. So, you know, looking at what what is it? So money doesn't buy you happiness, but there are a lot of things that do, and really looking specifically at what can we do to change our happiness. And a lot of times it's not changing our external circumstances. Sometimes people, for example, if they're in an unhappy marriage, they think, well, if I just get divorced, then I'll be happy. But actually those people tend to be just as miserable in the new marriage too or even out of the marriage. So looking at what kinds of things really do change our happiness. Uh, okay, now we can get into the book because, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Like, it, happiness is an internal thing. It's not external, right? I mean, it, it's like an internal, it, it sounds like, because you're saying, like you say, if I only got divorced, I'm going to be happy if I'm with another man. Not true. You're just as miserable. You kind of bring yourself to the situation, whether it's a new man or a new house or 
a new a job, new job and- or a new promotion or even a new waistline. Absolutely. The beauty of happiness is it really is an internal job. And so regardless of what's going on right now, regardless of, of where any of your listeners are in terms of, 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 of relationships or work or health issues, people still can be happy. And that's the real beauty of it. The other thing that's really important to me is to remember that happiness is more than just smiling. When people are happier, every other part of their life improves. So obviously their psychological health gets better because they have less stress, they have more self-confidence. But the research also shows, for example, that their physical health gets better. People who are happier have healthier immune systems. They're better able to sleep at night. They can lose weight more easily. So your physical health benefits when you're happier. Your relationships benefit when you're happier. I don't know about you, but when I'm unhappy, I'm not the most pleasant person in the world. But when we're happier, we can be better spouses, better parents, better friends, and better members of the community. And then finally, our work improves when we're happier. And there's some really great research looking at um, how happier workers and entrepreneurs are more productive, are more creative, are more effective, and bring in more money. I mean, what you've just described doesn't surprise me, but let's Mm -hmm. say what is the Rx? What is the prescription Mm -hmm. for happiness so that we can be happy and have all that good stuff happen to us? Right, exactly. And so the book, uh, Happiness Prescription, is an A to Z of how to have less stress and more happiness regardless of what goes on in life. And it's, it's a toolbox, really. It's, it's, so, you know, if you, if you wanted to build a house and you had a toolbox and you open up this beautiful toolbox and inside is a shiny hammer, it's a beautiful hammer, but it's the only tool you have in your toolbox, you ain't gonna build a house, right? You need more than one tool. So when it comes to the Happiness Prescription, it's the same thing. There's a whole lot of tools that you can use depending on where you are. Physically, where you are emotionally, what's going on. So let's talk about some of those tools and remembering that there's a whole, I mean, there's just a whole host of things that we can do to bring more happiness into our lives. All right, let's start with one of those tools. Like let's start said, with one of those. Yeah. So the, the, do you want to choose one or do you want me to throw one out? I'm going to let you choose which okay. one. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so there's so many. Um, you, you know, one of the quickest ways to bring happiness, and we, you were talking before about empirical research. What does the research show? One of the quickest ways to bring about happiness is to practice gratitude. Gratitude, of course, is when we appreciate the things that we that we have in our lives already, maybe experiences we've had in the past, people who are in our lives right now, what's going on. And one really neat way to do this, um, we probably have heard about gratitude journals where every night before you go to bed you write down three positive things that happened to you, and that's one. Wonderful. One of the other neat ways to do this is to um, think about someone who influenced your life maybe years ago, maybe when you were growing up, maybe early on in your, in your 20s or 30s, wherever you are. But think about someone who, when you reflect upon them, it really brings a smile to your face because they changed your life in some way. Maybe they gave you some wisdom, maybe some experiences. Maybe you went through a hard time together and, and, and you both got out of it. You know, whatever it is, think about someone who really affected you in a positive way and then write a letter to them. Write a letter to them explaining you know, what it is that you got from them and that you continue to get from them. And then share that letter with that person. You don't have to do the last step, although the research shows it's even more effective at bringing your happiness. But even just writing down what this person brought to you can really help you change how you feel. You know, Elizabeth, you're explaining gratitude in a way that really uh, feels good to me. I, you know, I used to hate the word gratitude. I, 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 it reminded me of 
the word grateful and it and the and grateful made me feel like I wasn't in you know, I had nothing to do with it like I had I owed somebody something you know I was just grateful mm-hmm. for what they could do it had kind of to me always had a pathetic ring to it and mm-hmm. so I always sort of steered away from it but as you're talking about gratitude and you know writing down positive things about something individuals have done for you and then writing a letter that's so very different than my kind of what I interpreted gratitude or grateful to mean you know that's interesting Catherine I think a lot of times people couple grateful with that horrible word should you should be grateful and yep. so when when I know sometimes when I bring it up with my clients they kind of almost feel guilty yeah I know I have a lot going on in my life I mean I know I have a lot of positive things in my life but I just I'm so stressed out and I should be happy but I'm not um, so yeah I mean when we're talking about gratitude we're simply talking about about positive things that have happened to you you know we've all heard the age-old adage glass half full half empty right so half full, you're seen as an optimist, half empty, you're seen as a pessimist, blah, blah, blah. But the question that I love asking is this, which is the truth? Is it actually half full or is it actually factually half empty? Which is the truth? And of course, the answer is both. The answer is both. So when we're talking about being grateful, we're not talking about being delusional and saying things like, I'm so glad my husband just left me for someone who's 20 years younger yeah. and I get to file for bankruptcy. Right? Like, no, no, that's, that's not realistic. But it is saying, you know what, even in tough times, there's some good things. Even in tough times, maybe there are friends who are supporting you. Even in tough times, like I had a client who recently lost his job and we started looking at, you know, what are some of the positives? Wow, you know what, it wasn't a very good job for him anyway. So getting out was a positive. He's going be looking for something that's going to be a better fit for him. He got all kinds of support from his friends and family, and he really got to feel the love that they have for him. So those were all positive things that he felt grateful for, even as he's going through a difficult time like losing a job. What about other extremes? Okay, you, you, know, you mentioned all right, losing a job, and that's very significant and could be really negative. He turned it into a positive when mm-hmm. he was in therapy with you. But um, what about, I mean, let's say you're diagnosed with an, you know, can't, you know, cancer and sure. it's really a bad diagnosis and you're 52 years old and you have a family and how can you still be happy or is there I mean because those are the extremes or you're in a case I mean as a social worker I you know work with people who have you know suffer from or have uh, situations where they have been you know domestic violence or you know really those extreme kinds of situations how does it fit into that? It, it absolutely fits into it because when I when I think about happiness, I, certainly it's an emotion. It's really a mindset. It's really a mindset of what am I going to take away from this this situation? What am I going to interpret it as? So I've done a lot of work with people, for example, with with cancer, and actually a lot of work with people who have been in domestic violence. And one of the things that I do, I mean, I don't suggest, oh come on, just be happy about it, right? That's that kind of delusional thinking we're saying before. But it is, what can you get out of this? I I, I know this sounds crazy, but I can't tell you how many. Um, clients I've worked with who have had cancer who have said that cancer is the best thing that ever happened to them, not because of what it did to their bodies, because that wasn't a positive, but because, they ha- because having such a life-altering event really made them stop and realize what's important. Going to their job and working 80 or 90 hours a week was how they were spending their time. They realized that really wasn't important to them. What was important to them was their family, their friends, maybe hobbies that they had, becoming more spiritual, starting to exercise, whatever it was. They really cultivated their areas of interest and and became happier because of it. 
uh, well, okay, that I mean that really is the extreme, and and yes. as you, and you've ha- you do you because uh, I wondered about that working with people who are, have extreme kinds of really dire situations, which I would sure. describe you know being diagnosed with cancer, um, being in a situation with domestic violence. Um, but okay, and we've talked about gratitude. What else? I mean, what? Uh, that's one what of else? the things. But what, what else can we do? Yeah. What else? Can yeah. We do? Jump on the bed. We were always told as kids, don't jump on the bed. Take your shoes off, jump on the bed. What does this do? When we jump on the bed or we jump on a trampoline, we're doing a couple things. One, it makes us feel like kids. And when we do things that make us feel like kids, it tends to bring out more happiness to us. Two, it's a form of exercise. And whereas the word exercise may not induce happiness in some individuals, um, anytime we get our bodies moving, like jumping on the bed or dancing around or going for a walk or, or riding a bicycle or going rollerblading, whatever it is, anytime you, anytime you can get your body moving, you are going to have biochemical changes that will reduce stress, that will increase happiness, that will boost your self-confidence and help you see things in a more positive way. Exercise really is, I mean, it's the the magic bullet, if you will, to to bringing about more happiness and less stress in a really quick way. I call call it the non-pharmaceutical Xanax. Yeah, (laughs) I like that, the non-pharmaceutical Xanax. And also, you know, that's why I think Perhaps that's why we're less happy than we were because we really, we are there. We don't do, we talk about exercise. You're exercising. Most people, if they say they exercise a lot, you're talking about an hour a day and then the rest of the time they're sitting in an office or they're doing something online or whatever it is, but they're not moving around. And if you're only exercising an hour, even two hours a day, think about it. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you're not getting that body moving. I mean, you, all that, it, yeah. So you, you really, I, every, I think I totally agree with you. I think that's really important. And you can feel it. I mean, I swim, I run, I feel better, I feel happier, even if things aren't going so well in my day. Once right. I do that, I'm better equipped to handle it if I get that exercise in. You are so yes. right. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I think we are such an all or nothing society. And by that, I mean, if we can't do what we think it's all, we just say, oh, forget it. I can't get to the gym today, so why bother? I don't like running, so I'm not going to work out. You know, what I really encourage my clients to do is to look for ways, again, where they can move their body. And whereas it would be great if you could do it an hour a day, I'm talking like, you know, five minutes here and five minutes there, at least as a start. When I'm working, for example, with, um, with people who work, uh, a, a job where they're sitting most of the day, I have them actually set their alarm, you know, at least every 90 minutes where they will stand up. And if they're so busy on a task, they'll simply walk to the farthest bathroom. If they have a little bit of time, maybe walk around the block, maybe put on some music, close the door so no one can see them and dance around. Um, you know, even things like some jumping jacks or push-ups or sit-ups real quickly can really help boost not only your happiness, but also your energy. And when you do that, you have so much more capacity to think and to problem solve and to be creative and effective and productive. I also just heard of a recent study, Elizabeth, and I, I'm not sure what it exactly, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but that it office workers, people who sit all day and don't do what you're saying, are more mm-hmm. susceptible. It was either to heart disease or to cancer, that there mm-hmm. were some empirical studies relating not getting up, as you say, and walking around and doing something every 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is, that, that, that there's, there's evidence that that can cause or is one of the contributing factors to either one of those diseases. I'm not sure which. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see the heart disease, yeah. and it wouldn't surprise me at all with the cancer. What we, what, we, what we forget so often is, is, you know, we hear about mind, body, mind, body, but the mind and the body are so integrated. Another great way, if you want to feel happier, is to simply smile or laugh. 
and I know that sounds silly, but when we smile, our brain registers, oh, I'm smiling, I must be happy. And it literally releases the same chemicals that it would if we were feeling happy ourselves. And you so would, just by standing tall, by smiling, when, when my kids are in a bad mood, I have younger kids, what I do is we have a laughing contest and see who can laugh the loudest or the longest or the most heartily or, you know, whatever it is. But when you do that, you start to feel happier. Well, how lucky are your kids to have a mother who's written a book with Happy You? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they roll their eyes. I'll say, you know, wh- why was that little girl not being nice to you? I know, because she's unhappy inside herself. <laughs> <laughs> they have your number. They know you. They know you well, yeah. How many kids do you have? I have, I have two girls. Two girls, okay. Yes. I have three boys, all grown up, as most of my listeners already know. But I saw that on your on your website, yeah. and they are very active. It looks yes. like, and yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Definitely. Okay, all right. So you know, your book goes from A to Z. I didn't mention that earlier, but each letter has it, each re- represents a word in the alphabet, and then it talks about how we get, and we can take. We did gratitude. We did G. We did I guess E exercise. Um, what's Z? I want to go to the end of. What's Z? Z is, with a little poetic license here, get your Zs. Get your sleep. As a society, we are um, not prioritizing our sleep. We see it as something that we'll do when we get time. And we don't get time. Why? Because work, uh, because household issues, because the Internet, and I'm just going to be on Facebook and suddenly it's three hours later because of television. And so we're going to bed later and later. We're getting less and less sleep. I would contend that the rates of ADHD in our children would significantly, significantly reduce if our children got the sleep that they needed. Because when we don't get sleep, we are irritable, we are distractible, we can't focus, our memory does not work as well, we also tend to be less happy, um, and our bodies don't function as well. So people who don't get the sleep that they, that they need, they gain weight independent of what they eat. So they may eat more, but even independent of that, their body just doesn't process the food, and so they start to gain weight. So there are a lot of reasons why getting your sleep, at least you know the seven or eight hours that, that people need, getting that sleep every single night is so important to your happiness prescription, to your physical health, to the health of your children, and to your work. Yeah, I think that's the most important one. I really do. I mean, as you know, I'm older than you are. My experience is, especially as one ages, I mean, the Z's, the Z is the most important thing. If you get a good night, if one gets a good night's sleep, I mean, you're already, you know, 80% there, I think. Yeah. yeah. But Americans, again, I think the statistics are that they are getting, as you say, they're getting less sleep. We're going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's one thing that's contributing to our obesity epidemic because it really does, it just messes with your entire body. It significantly affects uh, certain chronic diseases, even something like fibromyalgia. You know, the research really shows that fibromyalgia, which is a medically unexplained um, condition, we don't know why people get it, they aren't getting their deep sleep. And, and, you know, a lack of sleep may be contributing to what's going on there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, um, let's go to the queue. Oh, the cue. I'm sorry. I thought you meant the cue like in the cue. Um, no. <laughs> cue is question your thoughts. Question your thoughts. This is a quiz for me, so that's good. Um, question your thoughts in terms of what we're saying to ourselves. We're constantly having this dialogue in our brain, and sometimes we're aware of what we're saying, sometimes we're not. But very rarely do we question how helpful that thought is. So, for example, I talk a lot with my clients about um, their, their, 
their pet names that they have for themselves. But unfortunately, instead of lovey-dovey or sweeties, it's usually something like moron or fatty or loser. But we have these certain names, these labels that we give to ourselves that are constantly going on in the background. So when we do something, when we mess up, we go right to that label. We may or may not even realize it, but the problem is, is our brain is very aware of it. And it starts to, our bodies and our minds start to act as if that is a fact. We have to question our thoughts. We have to question how helpful and how accurate they are. And again, you know, going back to our example of, of being kind of delusional, I'm so God, you know, I'm filing for bankruptcy, not, not, not going to that extreme, but I would say look at what your thoughts are. Are they accurate and are they helpful? And those are the two criteria you want for all the thoughts that are going through that brain that affect every single part of your life. Now, I know people, uh, my listeners are going to say, well, you know, it's this, okay, this is a great prescription. We go from A to Z. We, I mean, very, and it is a very practical book, but is it going to take too much time? Do I have to work mm-hmm. at it or can this become spontaneous or how does this work? That's one of the things that I love about this book is that it really is, there are very small tips that you can do. Um, so, for example, um, uh, you, you know, even like the gratitude journal, it's three things that you write down every night. It, you can do it on the toilet while you're, you know, finishing up before you go to bed. You can, you can do it in bed. You can do it while you're making dinner, whatever it is. It doesn't take a lot of time. These are very quick tips, minimal time, minimal effort, no money that literally transform your life. And one of the things I like to highlight is, you know, people say, well, I mean, I know about gratitude, whatever. It's not rocket science. Okay, it's not rocket science, but it is rocket fuel. It is rocket fuel, and by that I mean truly, if you apply even just some of these concepts into your life on a daily basis, your entire life will transform. I'm curious, Elizabeth, because it says in, in your bio that you work, obviously, with you have a practice and you work with uh, clients here in the United States, but you also work with individuals, it says, around the globe. Now, do you find cultural differences? I was in Europe half the summer, and I'm like between, say, uh, between Europeans and Americans, and you know, in terms of happiness or in different, yeah. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. And then, you know, the Asian cultures are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that to me, that really goes into what happiness is. Happiness isn't um, when you, you know, it's not a definition that everyone is going to agree with. To me, happiness is when you have more positive emotion than not, and you are applying your values and your strengths. And because our values and our strengths tend to uh, differ across cultures, are, are areas of interest different across cultures? Absolutely. It, it, it can be very different. Uh, well, I noticed, you know, you were talking about the obesity problem and, and, mm. and how it's related to sleep, and uh, I was noticing, and we were in Spain, and I'm looking at people and, and, and France, and they are unfortunately beginning to catch up with us I know, in terms they of are. the weight thing. You know, they not are. as obese as we are, but still, it's like you can see it kind of creeping up on the kids and on middle-aged people, so they need to learn from us, not... They need to learn from you, I guess, really. (laughs) Well, you know, I think a lot of that is going from whole foods to processed foods. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's, they're a lot more sedentary, I think, over there. I spend a fair amount of time in France and, you know, they're, they're becoming more sedentary. It used to be you simply walked everywhere. You had, you know, whatever you ate, you went to the grocery store that day and you made it. Um, and so really focusing on a a healthy eating and, and, and active lifestyle. I think too, you know, stress is creeping up in other societies. Um, 
in addition to the United States. And so people are becoming more stressed. And stress, you know, when our body is experiences stress because we're stressed out for whatever reason, it you know provides those stress hormones that really affect our weight and the lay down of fat cells. You know, all of the things and the suggestions and the the, the practical. Uh, prescription for what we should do in your book should not be something that you do as an exception. As I'm listening to you, it really just has to, you just have to incorporate it into your lifestyle. And, and change can be difficult, without a doubt. What I always recommend people do is, is before they make a change, whether it's to start to integrate some of the happiness prescription or to start to exercise or to, you know, whatever change you're thinking about, before you make that change or start to make that change, sit down and write out why bother. Your why has to be bigger than your butt. Your why of why you want to do this change has to be bigger than your butt, and by that I mean the reasons why you don't do it. I want to exercise, but I'm tired. You know, that kind of thing. So write down what is in it for you. And, and we talked earlier about, you know, all the benefits, your psychological health, your physical health, how it affects your relationships, all of this. Write that down because that is what's going to motivate you to make even these small changes. Do you know if your kids do it? I mean, because I always think that, you know, if you start young, obviously I don't know how old your girls are, but, you know, you kind of have to, it's good if you can start when you're younger, when you're a child and sort of, do what you're suggesting in the book. Um, obviously, you can do it when you get older, but I think that's a positive thing. So how do you do that with you? I assume you do it with the girls. Absolutely. absolutely. Actually, the other day, I was kind of stressed out. I just came back from New York, and I had a big talk I was giving, and I was trying to make dinner, and I was kind of stressed out. And my, my 8-year-old looks at me. She's got red hair and these big brown eyes, and she looks at me. She goes, Mom, I think you should take a deep breath, and we should all talk about what we're grateful for. And, of course, it made me cry because yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. So absolutely, our kids need to know this. It is my ultimate fantasy that our schools will teach this stuff, how to be resilient, how to deal with stress, how to believe in yourself. Chapter B is believe in yourself. Self-confidence is absolutely integral to the happiness prescription because we have to believe in who we are and our worth and that we can do things to make positive changes in our life and we're worth it. So absolutely, these are the kinds of things that please teach your children. And if you didn't learn them as a child, that's okay too because you can always, always learn this. I say happiness is a skill. Some people are born... I don't know, being able to play the piano and some aren't. But the more you practice playing the piano, the better you get at it. Same thing with happiness. The more you practice these skills, the better you will get at them. And and the more they will affect your life in a positive way. Yeah, and if you help your children to believe in themselves and build up their feelings of self-esteem, and then, of course, you eliminate, or you help to eliminate some of these, the problem of bullying, for instance. You, know, you get less people who, the person who's being bullied stands up for themselves, and the bullier does less bullying or not at all, if they believe in themselves. That's a really important, I think, that's that's the believe in yourself yeah that is that is absolutely one of the most um, important things when it comes to bullying and that's exactly it you know a bully bullies because they're not happy with themselves or their lives and they're trying to feel better about themselves by putting other people down not the greatest approach but the motivation behind that approach makes sense and so what we need to do when we look at other people's behaviors that we don't like or even our own is ask why did they do that and then help yourself get to this achieve that goal in a different way. So if it's someone who's bullying because they aren't happy with themselves, well, look at ways that you can be happy with yourself. All right, now let's talk about the website, because you do have a website, and I didn't mention that earlier, a happier, a happyyou.com. A happy you. So A-H-A-P-P-Y-Y-O-U.com, yeah. Yeah. 
all kinds of free resources there. I think I have the first chapter of the book there so people can read it. I've got some, um, a bunch of videos on tips on how to be happier, um, a blog that <laughs> I sometimes update, um, and, and a way to contact me. So um, anyone who has questions or, or you know, wants to learn more, go to my um, website at happyyou.com and contact me, and, and let's talk and see, you know, how we can, how we can make positive changes in your life. Last question. What about you? How did you get, you know, at what point did you, I mean, you're a psychologist, obviously, and you're seeing people, and, you know, and all this is going, how did you just, you know, happy you? I mean, how did that evolve? Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting. I say on on paper I was happy, and by that I mean I had my PhD. I was married. You know, we were financially we weren't stressed out, anything like that. But I really I I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be. And I'll never forget, Catherine. I, I was working at um, a major medical center in Dallas, Texas. I was doing my postdoctoral work there, and um, it was a trauma unit. And so a lot of my clients had experienced all kinds of of accidents. And this particular gentleman, his name was Roger. He was an electrician. He'd been working on on some wires that were supposed to be <clears throat> turned off, but they weren't. So he had burned his arm so severely that they had to amputate them in order for him to, to live. To live. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this guy? He's going to be so depressed and so helpless and so hopeless. And Catherine, I opened the door, and he was sitting there with a smile on his face. And I thought, okay, the poor guy's delusional. He doesn't know what happened. But really, he wasn't delusional. He was focused on the fact that his life had been saved for what he thought was a very important reason. He didn't know what it was, but he was very excited to figure out why am I still here on this earth and what am I going to contribute in a positive way. And I thought, if this guy can be happy... I need to be happy. I can be happier too. And so I, I really went on this, this self-voyage in terms of looking at the research, in terms of interviewing people, and really in terms of figuring out what is it, what, are, what does the research show us, what kinds of things can we do to really change how we feel? You know, it's interesting, though. I mean, he had such an impact on your life, obviously, oh and you yeah. never know where that's coming from. You know, you, you, sometimes you think that, the, or at least I've always thought, you know, it's it maybe my parents or my partner, my boyfriend, my kids, whatever, but then what you described, you know, it's, it's some stranger or somebody, you know, either says something or has, you know, experienced something like you just mentioned, and that changes your whole life. I find that uh, that happens often, or it happens. Yeah, yeah, that's very. And those cool. are really gifts. And I think, yeah. you know, when they happen to us, it's really important not to say, "Ah, whatever, it happened." But really say, "You know what? Depending on your spiritual beliefs, you know, this was a gift from someone or from something, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna appreciate it and and learn from it." Well, it's great. It, it's been great talking to you today, and um, I do recommend the book, A Happy You. And it is very practical. I like practical books, as I, you know, I, you know, things that you can use in your life, not too yeah. esoteric. This works. It really does. A happy you, your ultimate prescription for happiness. Elizabeth Lombardo, PhD. Go to her website, a happy you, a h a p p y y o u dot com. <laughs> a lot of whys in there, but if you still had a happy you, it all makes sense. Catherine, thank you so much. It really is a pleasure to be here. It on. was a pleasure. Thank you. Have a thank good you. day. Have a happy day. I will. Thank you. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to take a short break right now, and we'll be back in a minute with my next guest. <laughs> Be 
sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to World Talk Radio, Voice America. You can listen to us every Wednesday, 10 to 11. Uh, we're live Eastern, and then we archive the show at the end of the day. Uh, my next guest is Gail Martin, Gail Z. Martin. I have to ask her what the Z stands for. I always uh, like Z since my last name is Zox. Uh, her new book is 30 Days to Virtual Productivity Success. Right, that's what we all want. Um, and she's a market. Well, she's had a career in marketing for 26 years, so she is a professional, and she's had extensive experience in virtual and traditional promotion. Welcome to the show, uh, Gail. Nice well, to have you on. Great, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, thrilled to have you. Now, what does disease stand for? I need to know. <laughs> My maiden name was Zayner, and there are a gazillion Gail Martins, but I have only ever met one other Gail Z Martin, so it kind of narrows it down. It's cool. I like it. Um, I like disease. Okay, <laughs> but now this is your new book. You uh, you are a pro. You've been in the business for 26 years. Um, 30 days, that's, that's not a very long time. So you can be successful and productive and, uh, in, in 30 days. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> it's not going to be everything you ever need to do in your lifetime. But in 30 days, as I put it, you can go from zero to Zoom. So if you're not effectively using things like the, the best uh, business apps for your smartphone, things like cloud computing that let you get to your files no matter where you are or what you're doing, 
this will get you up and running in a strategic way, and then you can build on it from there. Okay, so it's a practical guide, right? It is absolutely practical. I wrote it for busy people. The chapters are only like three to five pages long, and the whole thing's designed for you to be able to read a chapter and put it into action in 30 minutes a day or less. Well, one of the things, Gail, that you say, like, you know, we have laptops, smartphones, PCs, all of that stuff, right? And you mm-hmm. would, and we're more mobile than we've ever been, and you would think that we would be more successful at marketing ourselves and improving our businesses, but I guess you, that's not really the case. Because of all this, it's more difficult to stay organized, be productive, and focus on what we're promoting in our business? Explain well, that. Well, one of the other things is we're always on the go. I mean, I, I'm a professional speaker as well as an author. I live in airports and hotels, and I found that carrying a full laptop with me when I travel does really bad things to my back, and my chiropractor yelled at me for it. So <laughs> I've started to travel with just my smart, uh, my, my tablet PC and my smartphone, but I still needed to get the work done. And so that's what really sparked me to really dive into cloud computing, which is where someone else stores the program, but you can access it and all your files and all these really great business apps so that I could keep up with my work and not be far behind by the time I get home. Well, but do you find, Gail, that some of the, like, say, and, and I'm always interested in demographics, like, you know, younger people are probably not going to have any problem with that, but what about people, like, in their late 40s, 50s, 60s? Can, are they able to use... You know the apps as easily, and 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 you know, are they as familiar with their computers so that they can you know organize? I find that a lot of them are not as organized and, and aren't you know as computer savvy as maybe this would require that you're suggesting. No, well, it's kind of interesting. You know, I'm 49 and I'm doing this stuff, and I know a lot of people who are 10 years older than I am or more who are just as computer savvy, and you know. AARP is now online both on an app and on uh, the web, and they have found it to be tremendously successful. So, you know, to me that kind of trumps any ageist uh, issue of, you know, older folks aren't aren't on. Uh, What we're seeing demographically is 55-plus is one of the most rapidly growing demographics on the Internet because people are plunging in, and they may take the plunge for personal reasons to catch up with their grandchildren on Facebook or because their grandchildren will text them but not call them. But then once they get out there, they're going, wow, you know, there's some good stuff out here. Um, I, can, I can use this for my business. And they do. So, and, and at the same time, you know, the younger people, they know how to use all this for, they're playing Angry Birds, they're, play, they're having fun with it. But when they cross into the real world, they don't know how to use the technology for business. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's an interesting point. I, I also wanted to ask you, what about that, you know, you talk about traditional and virtual marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Can you, com- you combine the two? How do you do that? Let's say you have a small business, today's small business owner. Uh, what do you suggest for them in terms of using you know, the, the Internet, obviously, which was what we've been talking about, and, and doing traditional marketing? Are those two able to, yeah. Absolutely, because they work best when they work together. So, sure, if you have a retail store someplace, you have a sign out in front, but you also have a website, and you have a Facebook page for your business, and you put the web address and your email address and the Facebook page address on your business card, on your sign, on your invoices, you collect your customers' email addresses, now you can send them a newsletter, you invite them to like your Facebook page or follow you on Twitter, 
so you can let them know about special deals and special discounts and thank you VIP offers. And now you're having multiple conversations with people in between the sales. That does a couple of things. It helps them get to know you better, and we buy from people we know and like. It shows that you value them, especially when you listen instead of just talk. And it gives you a way to show appreciation with special deals and discounts and gathering their input. We know it takes 7 to 30 touches to close a sale. When you use all these different social media tools in addition to traditional marketing, postcards, direct mail, radio, whatever you need to do, uh, now you have more ways to touch people without being repetitive and wearing out your welcome. So it's a wonderful thing to blend traditional and new media marketing. So it's a really good marriage, and I guess it's, is it works in, in most businesses. Or, I mean, there's, you mentioned retail. What about examples like in other businesses besides retail? Sure. You know, you may use a different mix. You may use the pieces differently. But uh, I would recommend using a blend of traditional and social media marketing. If you're in professional consulting, if you're in um, professional services, even folks who have some restrictions on what they can do, um, you know, like people in the medical community, lawyers, financial people, they have some restrictions on what they can do in social media, but there are some other things that they absolutely can do to increase their um, profile. And so everything that you're able to do, it helps you build that visibility, build that trust, reinforce that consumer loyalty. And let's be honest, Everybody has a lot of competition. If you're the easiest to find and the easiest to communicate with, you get the business. I, that's very true. I, I find myself, uh, when I'm looking online for some kind of a service, I, some, the ones who have the easiest websites to navigate are the ones mm-hmm. that I, I go to, and, I, you know, and, and if they have equal reputations uh, for whatever I'm trying to buy or whatever service I'm trying to get, if I can you know, navigate the... Website easily, that's the one I go for. But I have another question, Gail. What about TripAdvisor? I'm really curious. How is that impacted on the marketing of one's business? Well, you know, sites like TripAdvisor and Urban Spoon and Yelp, they're all sites where uh, consumers have a chance to explain, you know, what their last experience was like. And, you know, this has always happened. People would tell their friends, I had a great time, I had a terrible time, I had good service, I had bad service. Now they can tell the world. And, you know, I'll put it out there, there is a caveat. Yes, there has been some comment fraud on the Internet where, you know, somebody gets fired and they go out and pretend to be a consumer and say terrible things about the company that just fired them. Or a competitor gets out there and pretends to be a consumer. But these sites are getting a lot more sophisticated about recognizing what the characteristics are of a fraudulent post and finding a way to push that down or remove it. And the rest, what you have left is what we've always had, word of mouth. You know, I I use sites like Urban Spoon all the time when I'm traveling. If I'm in a new city and I want to get a good restaurant meal but I don't want to go to one of the big chains, I'll look up Urban Spoon, and it'll tell me what's near me and how other people have liked the food. So, what I've, I, I mean, I sort of use, I use TripAdvisor all mm-hmm. the time, and I think one of, you know, you mentioned the fraud 
uh, the fraud can be on either end. You can, I think, sometimes you can have the hotel or the restaurant writing about themselves and how fabulous sure. it is, and it's really not a consumer. So this consumer, but you know, the more you use those sites, the more savvy. Uh, the more savvy I've become, and the consumer becomes, and you can tell the ones that are, you know, seem to be not realistic, and you kind of put them all together, and you get a real sense of what the business is like. But uh, it really, it, I've used TripAdvisor actually being at a hotel, and they're showing me a crummy room, and I said, well, I need to get online now because I need to look up TripAdvisor, and then immediately I got a good room. It was really interesting. <laughs> I well, yeah, looked- and and you know, you read the comments, and if someone says. Uh, you know, I didn't like this restaurant because the menu was purple and I don't like purple. I'm not going to pay attention to that comment. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like movie reviewers. I know that my tastes generally aren't the tastes of most movie reviewers, and I always joke if they don't like a movie, I'll probably love it. So you have to use some common sense and, and your own taste and factor it in. But there, if, if you are evaluating unknown options, it's a whole lot better than going in blind. Yeah, well, I want to, um, you know, I want to recommend the book again because it is, it's a very practical, productive book, 30 Days to Virtual Productivity Success, and it's Gail Z. Martin, marketing expert, um, and I also want to mention, Gail, before we say goodbye, you are the owner of Dream Spinner Communications, that's your communications company? That's my marketing consulting company. As I mentioned, I'm a professional speaker. I also do coaching and consulting based on the books. And I love helping people communicate effectively using traditional and new media tools, especially when they're reinventing themselves and their company. Terrific. You've been a great guest. What's the website we can go to? GailMartinMarketing.com. And you can find me on Facebook as... Gail Martin, and also as 30-Day Results Guide, which is the book site. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to Voice America. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Zotz, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to me on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. It's the Catherine Zox Show. Uh, my next guest is Dr. J.C. Smith, and his new book is The Medical War Against Chiropractors. He says that if Obamacare, when it goes to an effect, is going to affect alternative medical treatments, and one of those is chiropractic, is the chiropractic profession. Uh, Obamacare will not include alternative treatments like chiropractic, and so people will have to pay out of pocket to see their chiropractor. Uh, not a good thing, argues Dr. J.C. Smith. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Oh, thank you. Okay, so we have a problem. <laughs> uh, apparently, chiropractors will not be included in Obamacare, and uh, so what you're saying is that uh, there we'll have to pay out of pocket if we want to go to a chiropractor, and that's not a good thing. Well, that hasn't been written in concrete yet, but uh, there has been anti-discrimination language has been passed to where the Obamacare will cover non-MDs. But to what extent and what model they're going to use, we don't know. But we do know that Senator Tom Harkin was able to help us ward off the AMA's attempt to have Obamacare only cover MDs, as they've done in the past with Workman's Comp and military health services and, you know, everything. They just want MDs covered only. And the what reason is the, that, I mean, I know the AMA, I, I would assume, is behind all of this. Uh, yes. What's the big threat? Because this is not just with Obamacare, as you say. I mean, you alluded to that. It's always been like chiropractors are, are not MDs, so they're not really legitimate. Where does that all come from? Well, there's a whole history to the medical war against chiropractors, and it first started in 1930 when their former executive director, Morris Fishbein, who was also known as the medical Mussolini, he was the man that became the face, the voice, the whole tyrant that led the medical war against not just chiropractors, but homeopaths, naturopaths, and uh, optometrists. And you know who they're at war against now? Nurse practitioners. Basically, the AMA doesn't want competition from anybody, even though the competition generally gets better results in many types of cases. For example, this epidemic of back pain that we're in now, which is like a $270 billion a year expense, well, every comparative study that's been done by the United States, Canada, UK, Norway, in every single case for the epidemic of back, low back pain, chiropractic care has always come out on top of the heap. And I'm not surprised, I'm going to interrupt you, because this is just anecdotal, but when I have friends who, you know, maybe they've had surgery on their back, it doesn't work, or they go to an orthopedist or the, and uh, whatever is prescribed in medication or whatever it is, that doesn't work, and they end up going to a chiropractor in the end, and very often with good results. So my question is, Dr. Smith, how many people go to utilize chiropractors? Uh, do we have statistics on that? Well, there's about 20 million Americans that will go this year. And uh, in all for all the CAM providers, Dr. Eisenberg at Harvard School in the 90s, he determined that people made more visits to non-MDs than MDs in this country. They are paying out of their pocket for many of that, those cases, but nonetheless, they're, they're seeking alternatives to drug shots and surgeries. What kind of education do you need to go to be a chiropractor? I mean, uh, we know what a medical school, four years, and then you specialize, what, you're competing against orthopedists? I, or, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a four-year education. We don't have to go through a residency and the uh, you know, hospital slavery that those poor MDs go through. We go generally straight into a practice. But uh, 
No, it's it's all controlled by the federal accrediting agencies and the local regional agencies as well. So it's it's on the up and up. It's a tough curriculum to get through nowadays. That's for sure. So, and there's association for chiropractors. You know, is there one that's the same as say the AMA for doctors? Or yeah, exactly, it's called the American Chiropractic Association. And in, in our country, there's also a World Federation of Chiropractic that is like the UN of chiropractic uh, countries that you know include chiropractors. So, uh, it's a it's a booming business right now. And the problem we're facing is that the AMA is not acknowledging the evidence. This, this was a claim for years that chiropractic was an unscientific cult. Well, there was no research in it because they didn't give us any research monies. But in the 1990s, after the uh, antitrust case, the Wilk trial, as it was called, Wilk versus AMA, there the federal judge in Chicago decided that the AMA was running an illegal uh, attempt to bust the chiropractic profession to destroy it, to use their own terms. But then in the 1990s, the research started coming down the tubes from around the world. And in every single case that showed that spinal manipulation proved better than drug shots and surgery. It actually gets back to the basic premise of back surgery, which is you have an abnormal disc. Well, in 1990, at Emory University there in Atlanta, Dr. Scott Bowden, a very famous spinal researcher, orthopedist, did MRI studies on people with and without back pain. And in both sets of people, he found people had abnormal discs. And so he was the first one to question it. Well, if it's a disc, why do these people have abnormal discs, but they have no pain? Most back pain, Catherine, comes from joint dysfunction. You need, do you know how many joints there are in the spine? This is a quiz, and I, I'm, I just failed. <laughs> no, I See, don't. Most people don't even think of it. But I'm the, not. Yeah, there's 23 discs, but there's over 313 joints in the spine. There's 137 major joints, the synovial joints, that we adjust. But most back pain is joint dysfunction, whether you've wrenched them in a whiplash or football or just sitting too long in your chair can compress low back pain joints, and that's why people have low back pain. So that's why so manipulation... I have to interrupt you because what you're saying is, and we only have three minutes to go before we have to say goodbye, but the medical war against chiropractors has little to do with really what the reality is in terms of what causes back pain. To me, it sounds it's more political it has to do with the money. money. Uh, money. It has to do with the power. Mm-hmm. And I would add, doesn't it have to do with the pharmaceutical companies? Because, the, you know, then yes. the doctors prescribe pain medication. Yes, oxycodone and, and MRIs. And, you know, it's just a mess. Drug shots and surgeries don't work. They're temporary at best. They are addictive. They're disabling. But that's where the money is, and that's why they keep pushing that old technology on the people. And then, of course, they defame chiropractors with their slander, their trash talking that they've been doing for 100 years. So people are dissuaded from going to the best source. Chiropractors are the primary spine care providers in the world, yet the MDs just won't relinquish that because of the money. It's a billion-dollar so industry. Thing, for the consumer, uh, it may be, and I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying maybe the first, instead of the last thing, which is it's not always the last thing, but many times the last resort right. can be because of all of this propaganda, should I say. We go to the chiropractor right. last. Maybe she go to the chiropractor first. Yes, I'll agree then, with that. See, yeah, and if it works. <laughs> well, that's and what the guidelines work, say. Yeah. Every guideline says the same thing. Try conservative care first and drug shots and surgeries last. But do you think the MDs are telling the public that? Not at all. They go on and railroad you right into those expensive surgeries and let's do another it's so sad. That's why I wrote my book, Chiropractors, um, uh, you know, the Medical Organs Chiropractors. I also have an interesting website if you have some proactive listeners. It's called yeah, let's have your website. Chiropractors for Fair Journalism 
info. And I have over 200 articles there that I've written over the last 30 years, and I have a lot of good inf- information there about exposing this medical monopoly that's just railroading everybody into these disabling surgeries. Not that they all are disabling. You know, some people need, if you have cancers, fractures, serious infections, or you don't respond to what we do, which is about 15%, but 85% of patients do not need that. They need chiropractic care and supportive exercises afterwards. Okay, like and we're going to have to stop on that one because I think that's a good uh, good uh, line to leave on. And uh, I want to, Dr. J.C. Smith, The Medical War Against Chiropractors, buy it, read it, uh, think about it. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Well, you're welcome, Catherine. Yeah, Thank you. Lots of good information. You're, uh, we're going to have to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesdays live, 10 to 11, and we archive the show at the end of the day. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.